like the dreamer. Dreams and then lives inside a dream. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. Fire is the devil hiding like a coward in the smoke. This is the water. And this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes. And dark within. Is it about the bunny? No, it's not about the bunny. I like me. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. Don't plan it. Don't wait for it. Just let it happen. Could be a new shirt at the men's store, a cat nap in your office chair, or two cups of good hot black coffee. Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Welcome too to that audio collage of Twin Peaks, as that will be the theme in this eternal now, along with a wider exploration of the Gnostic and esoteric impulses of David Lynch. Never a bad time to focus on his ethereal ideas, for they truly express and encompass the ethos of this show. And where are you with a damn fine cup of coffee, I hope? This is blasphemy! This is madness! Aeon Bite Gnostic Radio, an initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult culture and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host, Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird, this is the blow-your-mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. You are not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. And now you fucking khakis. You are a shining crazy diamond that can ignite the universe with so much wonder. Even if you are forever, like the Gnostics and David Lynch in relation to Hollywood, the perennial outsider. Always running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. Psychotic drones. Where the mystic swims, you're drowning or swimming. I think Gary Lachman explained well our situation down here in the Black Iron Prison when he wrote this in his biography of Colin Wilson. The outsider is someone who sees too deep and too much, and that most of what he sees is chaos. He or she lives in the world with a sense of strangeness and unreality. The safe, stable reality that most of us perceive is for the outsider an illusion, 
a facade obscuring a more dangerous and threatening possibility, that of nothingness, nihilism, and the void, the complete inconsequentiality of human life and all its achievements. For the outsider, the values and meanings that constitute life for most people, a good job, a big home, a nice bank account, are empty and makeshift. They are, at best, attempts to gloss over, to make look civilized and rational something that is savage, unorganized, irrational. He stands for reality. He seeks a meaning and purpose that the everyday world cannot provide. And his salvation lies in understanding this and embracing it with total conviction. My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. All right, let's get your lower self lynched with a show on David Lynch. For this sacred and profane quest, we have the honor and pleasure of being joined at the virtual Alexandria by Frank, Bouleger, researcher, film critic, and author of the recent book, The Return of Twin Peaks, Squaring the Circle. Frank will provide an electrifying chat on the various arcane aspects of Lynch and Frost's Twin Peaks saga, and much more. You'll be streaking across the White Lodge after our chat, I say, I say. I don't want any baloney, magic tricks, or psychological mumbo-jumbo. Due to outside forces, semi-arconic, we did about an hour and ten minutes. More than enough high-octane gnosis. But for all subs, I'll be providing some fantastic bonuses that make this episode one of my very popular mini-courses. After Frank's interview, available for everyone and their killer Bob, get ready for Vance and me giving our overall takes on the interview and Twin Peaks in general. Then you'll hear my friend, professor of literature at Wake Forest University and best-selling author, Eric G. Wilson, sharing from past interviews on the cinematic style and literary slant of David Lynch and his own takes on Twin Peaks' The Return. Right after, we'll move to a clip from Freemason and occult author Robert Sullivan on more of Lynch's style and esoteric pedigree. We'll end with a clip from this year's interview with David Sweeney, where he speaks of the socio-philosophical message in David Lynch and Mark Frost, as well as esoterica in general. It's raining gnosis. Hallelujah. An extra hour and a half for all subs. Do you know the story about the Zen master and the little boy? Oh, this is, there's a little boy. On his 14th birthday, he gets a horse. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful, the boy got a horse. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Two years later, the boy falls off the horse, breaks his leg, and everybody in the village says, how terrible. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Then a war breaks out, and all the young men have to go off and fight, except the boy can't because his leg's all messed up. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful. And the Zen master says, we'll see. So you get it. 
to start learning you some Gnosticism and David Lynch? Let me quote from blogger Kay Halloran on an article about cosmic horror. Another example of the Gnostic intruding into modern fiction is David Lynch's 2017 Return to Twin Peaks, which centers itself thematically around the ravages of time and aging, a concept it explores by returning to the same characters and locations of the original series after a 25-year hiatus. Lynch was wise to emphasize the power of Kronos, the only god capitalism has failed to bind under its yoke. The passage of time in the world of Twin Peaks provides a sly comment upon the original series' saccharine nostalgia for Americana. It's difficult not to see the world The Return presents as one that is both crueler and more cynical than its predecessor. For budding students of Gnosis, the completed mythology of Twin Peaks has much to offer. Manufactured realities, conspiracies of evil entities behind the forces of the material world, and a perfect example of a Gnostic Aeon in the form of Laura Palmer, a being incarnated as a martyr for the purposes of spiritual salvation. Valentinus believed the world we live in was created by a cruel god, and slightly stupid. A god that will send you plagues, or requires sacrifices, or destroys Babylon. He wasn't wrong about that. The bastard had a mean temper. Humans can't escape this world, and return to the real one. The kingdom. And for that, you needed to achieve the Gnosis. And as writer A.W. Hill wrote... This powerful sense of duality in David Lynch's worlds, his willingness to allow even his good characters to do, or at least consider awful things, as well as the faint promise of their redemption, is what makes Twin Peaks easier to understand through the lens of Gnostic religion. Gnosis is knowing, and knowing includes an acquaintance with evil, and compared to the saga of Adam and Eve in Gnostic texts. A god who could make good children as easily as bad, yet preferred to make bad ones, who could have made every one of them happy, yet never made a single happy one, who made them prize their bitter life, yet stingingly cut it short, who gave his angels eternal happiness unearned, yet required his other children to earn it. But don't despair, you of the broken places. In fact, I know you won't because you eat nervous breakdowns for breakfast. Beyond the quoted writers, many other thinkers have connected the Gnostic worldview to cosmic horror, and Lovecraft himself had Gnostic leanings. There is a sense of abandonment, loss, and pure darkness in Gnostic thought. But where hope dies, imagination must live. In the edge of the abyss is where we have Yaldi Baldi by his dragon testicles. For the rainbow bridge is always there to take us to the embrace of Sophia. 
All we need to do is purge the inner archons, recall our authentic selves, and allow our divine spark to kindle a light of meaning in the darkness of mere being. Shout like Laura Palmer does at the end of Twin Peaks to destroy the dark mother, Judy. It's time running this place. And your insane little kingdom is over. I'm so glad you're here to find your shouting voice, your authentic self, and those pesky hidden inner archons. A sense of humor too, I hope. For in the ninth book of Moses, Abraxas creates the universe by laughing a lot. The world needs to laugh a lot more too, to remember the joy of creation for the sake of creation. led us to our interview with Frank. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. Sure. Oh, by the way, you were shot with a Walther PPK. It's James Bond's gun, did you know that? You're looking better today, Coop. Thank you, Albert. Feeling better. The trail of the man who shot you was ice cold, but I hoovered some fibers from the corridor outside your room my ticket out of Trolleyville. I'll be at the lab, gentlemen. Anything we should be working on? Yeah. You might practice walking without dragging your knuckles on the floor. Albert, let's talk about knuckles. For the last time, I knocked you down. I felt bad about it. The next time is going to be a real pleasure. You listen to me. While I will admit to a certain cynicism, the fact is that I'm a naysayer and hatchet man in the fight against violence. I pride myself in taking a punch and I'll gladly take another because I choose to live my life in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject absolutely revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. I love you, Sheriff Truman. Albert's path is a strange and difficult one. This is the Aeon Byte interview. And with us, we definitely have the pleasure of being joined by Frank Boulage to discuss all things David Lynch, uh, specifically uh, Twin Peaks The Return. And I must say that his blog, Unwrapping the Plastic, is an excellent resource for all things Twin Peak and all things uh, David Lynch. So, Frank, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Pleasure is all ours. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I'm just fine. As you know, um, you know David Lynch is one of my, maybe my favorite director of all time. So, like the owls, this show may not be... <laughs> <laughs> what it seems yeah exactly exactly layer after layer and it is interesting because we'll keep doing it but there was a i think last week i saw there was a, it might have been on frank's a really cool twitter which i uh, advise all you and the audience to follow but uh somebody asked david lynch in an interview well do you want to give us a commentary on your movie and he said what my movie is my commentary what do you want me to do at <laughs> so but that's why we are all here so frank let's start with you uh maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in the work of david lynch 
Um, so um, I'm a French uh, film critic. Um, I've been writing about cinema for the past 20 years or, or so, uh, after having uh, studied politics and communication and slightly moved away from that um, um, uh, along the way to, to focus more on cinema. Um, Twin Peaks, I think, was the door through which I entered the universe of David Lynch. That was really what brought me into uh, his world. Um, I watched it as it was for, as it first ran uh, in the 1990s, in the early 1990s, and that really blew my mind. Um, it, it was so different. Um, it was so um, I don't know, so close to to dreams in the way it is built, in the way the story moves forward, um, that uh, it, it hooked me right from the right from the beginning. And after that, little by little, I, I got to uh, to find out about the rest of his uh, movies, about his paintings, about his artistic life. Um, and um, yes, um, David Lynch ever since has been my favorite film director um, but uh, at the very core of it all remains uh, Twin Peaks which for me is um, something of an absolute masterpiece uh, especially I have to say season three which uh, um, he made 25 years after the end uh, of the first two seasons and uh, I was so so impressed with season three the 18 parts of season three uh, which I think are absolutely magnificent um, that um, basically since it aired, since it was screened, I have done nothing <laughs> uh, but um, <laughs> think about it and write about it every day for the past uh, basically five or six years now. I can't think of a better job or hobby or or passion. And yeah, I mean, I'm still so flabbergasted that in, I believe it's season two when Laura says we will talk again in 25 mm. years. How the hell did he time it so perfectly? Mm-hmm. It's still, uh, it's incredible. And, and what did you think of season two? Were you disappointed like many people? Well, um, I took the first two seasons as um, a package. Um, I have to say that I was not really disappointed. It had a, a slightly different flavor from season one, which wa- which was closer, I think, to... Lynch's preoccupations. Perhaps season two was slightly more Mark Frost, uh, who definitely needs to be uh, mentioned uh, when it comes to Twin Peaks because uh, they are the Twin Peaks, the the, the two uh, creative peaks of yeah. um, of this TV series. Um, but no, I, I was not uh, disappointed, and I think that uh, season two actually. Um, um, w- w- was ahead of its time for many things, uh, and um, it came before the X Files. Uh, when um, and actually, a lot of what one finds in the X Files was already present, I think, in season two of Twin Peaks. Um, so even though it is slightly, it has a slightly different flavor, uh, it, it is very important nonetheless to watch it. And uh, if only uh, to to make the continuity uh, with uh, what comes after or before, because uh, in Twin Peaks, time uh, is not linear the way we think of it. Uh, and as you know, um, after season two, uh, David Lynch actually went back in time to to shoot the prequel um, with uh, Firewalk with Me, 
um, the time is, I think, the perhaps the most important theme uh, in in Twin Peaks, and and our perception of time and the way time moves forward and backwards um, plays such an important role um, with time travel in season three, which is something that I, I, I admit I was not expecting, but which works beautifully in the show. No, oh, yeah, I agree with you. Everything we certainly. It's amazing how they created, like you said, this grand theory of everything, every conspiracy and esoteric theory, but still has a powerful core. And yeah, I remember watching um, Fire Walk with me as a young, you know, in my early 20s being disappointed. But now after season three, time changes and it's sort of a Mandela effect, I consider Fire Walk with me a masterpiece. So uh, yeah. I think these things definitely... Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, it's not linear time and everything that, yeah, exactly, everything in the X-Files and so many other shows was already there in Twin Peaks, which seems to start off as a simple murder mystery, and then your jaw just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. Yeah. Um, so much to write. And for David Lynch, I mean, he obviously, it's no secret of his interest in TM and Eastern philosophy. Hmm. Do we have any, I mean, any other hints? Because again, as we've talked about on the show so much, there is a lot of Gnosticism in his show. Uh, hmm. And obviously, Buddhism and Gnosticism are kind of like cousin movements. But, hmm. you know, season three, episode eight sort of reveals this Gnostic cosmology. Hmm. Do we hmm. do we have a Lynch ever admitting he's interested in, in other esoteric or alternative uh, religions? Well, um, um, I don't know about Lynch directly. I mean, I, I know that he, he was raised a Presbyterian, so he has uh, a good knowledge of uh, Christianity too. Uh, and and um, I think that also plays uh, an important part in his universe. Um, um, for instance, I do think that Dale Cooper is a Christic figure in uh, season three. And so is Laura you know, to a certain extent. Um, so Christianity um, cannot be um, forgotten in, the, in this mix. But it really is a syncret syncretic vision of um, religion, which is at work um, in Twin Peaks and, and, and in the thought process of David Lynch, even though, yes, uh, uh, TM uh, and Hinduism are really at the core of this mix. Um, but in, also because of Mark Frost's influence, you have elements that come from theosophy that play um, um, an important role, at least uh, um, in the version of Twin Peaks that Mark Frost has developed because it's slightly different from David Lynch's. I mean, they, they, they both collaborated, but they each have a slightly uh, different vision and understanding of, uh, of the meaning of the show. Um, but to come back to what you were saying, uh, it, it's so interesting that this murder mystery, um, little by little, took all those mythological, uh, uh, th this mythological dimension. Um, there is so much that's at work beneath the surface in Twin Peaks, just like in all the films of David Lynch. Um, you, you start with a tiny portion of the painting, and all of a sudden you have this massive vision of the universe and everything is interconnected um uh, it, it, it really is but at the same time it's not um didactic you know it doesn't teach you 
uh, how to read it. You have to figure it out by yourself. It's like a puzzle that you have to put together. Um, and, and this is an element that I, um, I have to admit that before I watched Twin Peaks, I didn't know that much about um, so many um, re religious movements and, and, and traditions because um, I'm French. <laughs> I was raised <laughs> as a Cartesian um, right. uh, empiricist. Uh, so, uh, you know, I had some knowledge about um, uh, religious teachings, but um, very shallow. Uh, so I had to dig uh, and to, to dive into all of this. And Twin Peaks is a very good entry door into um, the, 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 the rich uh, variety of um, religious thinking and uh, metaphysical notions that uh, uh, play such uh, an important role uh, um, throughout uh, the history of humanity. Oh, agreed. Yeah, there's so it's an amazing world building or universe building or trans-dimensional building, especially in season three. It just takes you to some amazing places at the same time, Frank. Uh, one thing we can say, I think, with certain with Lynch is that he always seems to have this sort of Manichaean view in his movies there is pure evil and there is almost innocent good and of course blue velvet is sort of a a perfect example where you've got this eisenhower america this innocent uh hopeful america uh you know going or bleeding into this corrupt evil criminal uh you know world or dimension so do you know that seems to be something uh we can find in lynch and certainly in twin peaks do we know why he does that or because that doesn't seem very i don't know buddhist if you would again that seems more gnostic or even christian yes yeah, so or Zoroastrian. <laughs> yeah or hinduism you know the the um with the asuras and the devas i really think there is something of that there this um apocalyptic fight between two sides um one that represents good and the other that represents evil and uh it's taking place in the background but somehow everyone and every character is part of it every every character in the show is somehow a pawn on this big um chessboard um and they are being moved from square to square uh not totally understanding what's happening because that there are um, divinities in the background that are playing their their game, um, so they only get glimpses. Um, and I think the, the opening of season three of Twin Peaks, when the, the fireman gives a few clues to um, to Cooper, is very much um, reminiscent of this: that he's going to be a pawn, an important uh, pawn or piece, perhaps. Perhaps he's the king. I don't know. But nonetheless, he's being played by uh, uh, a bigger entity who is an, in control, fighting a bigger game against the other side. Yeah, that is definitely uh, very true. I mean, uh, again, we have this world building, this cosmological building. And uh, yeah, I want to um, read something that uh, scholar Robert Price wrote about Twin Peaks. Again, I'm sort of sticking to the Gnostic theme, but let me know your thoughts on this, of course. Really climaxes in uh, episode eight in season three, which I will think is the greatest piece of uh, television, cinema, visual thematic in 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 the history in history and i, I know i'm gonna go to my grave without seeing something like that ever again on television <laughs> it's just uh it, i don't know it's just soul shaking but uh scholar robert price wrote, wrote 
Laura is the fallen Sophia. Cooper is the redeemed redeemer. Bob and the other globules vomited forth from the demiurge are the evil archons. The giant is God. The Black Lodge is the material world. When one arm might calls Cooper to, quote, wake up, it is, quote, the call from the Pleroma to the Redeemer, who has forgotten his identity and mission, which makes him come to his senses and return to the work of redemption. Remember the moment in Lynch's Dune when Paul Muabid Dale cries out to the heavens, Father, the sleeper has awakened. What do you think of that? Um, I think it's very true. I think it's definitely there, and it's a totally legit uh, reading of uh, the episode. At the same time, um, I'm always careful about um, pointing out how complex and uh, and how many levels of possible readings there are to um, to the show. Um, it is definitely possible to read it this way, but I think that it is only one possible reading, if only because Lynch and Frost each have a slightly different vision. Um, but yes, it is possible to read it from uh, um, the Gnostic point of view. It's also possible to read it from uh, the point of view of um, literature. Um, I think that uh, it has a lot to do with, or, or, or mythology. I mean, um, um, Frost pointed out the fact that um, season three is um, uh, actually built according to the Odyssey. Um, and when you think of the Odyssey, you think about the idea of the return, uh, which is, uh, as you know, the, the, the way uh, season three is known. Um, and the return, the returner, that's a figure that you find throughout uh, literature. So if you go from the Odyssey, you can go um, to Ulysses, uh, James Joyce's Ulysses, and there's also something of Ulysses there. Um, so um, what I'm saying is that... Um, Yes, I totally agree with what you say. It's just that um, I see Twin Peaks as um, an accumulation of layers. There are many layers of possible readings um, from the mythological perspective, from an esoteric perspective, from the perspective of literature. And each one adds another element to the structure, to the global structure of the show. And, and it's absolutely amazing the way Frost and Lynch have been able to tie all these elements together. They really make sense, uh, even though it's so complex and so layered. Yeah, well said indeed. And I would, yeah, I would agree. I think, I know uh, sometimes it's easy just to defer to the Jungian view. Some people say, well, that's a cop-out, but I still do it. But mm -hmm. I think you sometimes have individuals who are so in tune with their art and themselves. They're in tune with their inner world that they tap into this rich font of mythology and archetypal images. And not just Mark Frost and David Lynch, but obviously uh, George Lucas would be mm. another example of an individual who can do that. Uh, the Wachowskis, when they when they did The Matrix and they've never done anything remotely closing for, for an instant to tap into this world of mythology and archetypal images, and you get this multi-layered treasure to the world so mm -hmm. i'm sure you could say yeah maybe that's it they tapped into what every artist wants to tap into mm -hmm. and, and what's um to, to add uh, on on this there's always the way people are going to receive it which adds another layer 
um, there is the the the, the way the, the work is emitted, but the way it's received uh, is as important, especially in Twin Peaks, which is uh, so based on its fan community that interacts constantly right. with the show. As you know, um, um, the show uh, was cancelled, uh, but the, the fan communi community really pushed for um, a return uh, of Twin Peaks. Um, so it's always a, a game of uh, table table tennis between um, the people thinking and creating the show and the people who are receiving it and uh, giving it a new meaning of sorts, always constantly thinking about it and, I guess, uh, um, sending back some of uh, their thought processes to uh, Lynch and Frost, who are, uh, I think, very careful to listen to what the fans have to say about the show. Ooh, good point. Yeah, it's almost like an egregore that is created, which mm -hmm. gives us hope that perhaps one day the OA will return, as you've written also, too, <laughs> and hopefully we can touch upon later on. But yeah, I agree with you. It becomes alive from first season. Yeah, people were obsessed, not just with watching the show, but sort of all the other meta stuff around it. The mm -hmm. characters, the backdrop, the actors, uh, mm -hmm. people would have coffee parties and all these uh, very cool things. Um, and uh, speaking, too, of another layer, which I loved in your blog post, the the Pixian Book of the Dead. And in this one, you relate a lot of uh, Twin Peaks to ancient Egypt mythology. And of course, mm -hmm. well, the audience knows the Gnostics were the inheritors of the Egyptian mystery. So this is a there is a sem, there would be some similarities but uh you talk about how agent cooper is osiris and osiris is of course a great example of the rising and dying god man like mm -hmm. jesus and others you show pictures of the floor in the red room uh the the famous pattern that you can find in egyptian art too mm -hmm. and then you also talk about uh, a whole bunch of other things which i thought was fascinating like laura palmer palm tree Mm -hmm. um the depiction of mother the white cosmic experiment from part eight that vomits a great number of eggs including mm -hmm. the frogmas and the rock with bob's face in it and inside a gelatinous substance corresponds to the way amphibians give birth while the eggs themselves seem closer to those reptiles and of course the serpent apip is believed to have had its arms cut off which might be a reason why the experiment's arms are inverted and so forth so mm -hmm. a great job in connecting it to ancient egypt uh, anything okay. else we missed um i i i think it, it's connected to what I was saying earlier, I mean, uh, w once you you have a reading, I mean, uh, I think that uh, reading it via the lens of ancient Egypt makes sense. But all of a sudden, it takes you to another level uh, to Alistair Crowley, uh, whose um, uh, Thelemic religion uh, owes so much to ancient Egypt, right. and, and uh, who plays an important role in um, uh, Mark Frost uh, in, in his uh, book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. And when you think about um, um, Alistair Crowley and Jack Parsons, uh, that brings you to Babylon. And Babylon also takes you to um, Kenneth Anger and to uh, Magic Sex, which plays such an important part in uh, in parts one and part 18, 18 of Twin Peaks. So yeah, to me, it really is so uh, connected on so many levels that it's very difficult to say to in peaks is Gnosticism or is ancient Egypt right. or is this or that. I mean, uh, it, it is one. Uh, 
and Laura is the one, as they keep saying somehow um, uh, throughout the, 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 the series. And, and my personal theory is that the, the third series is about um, moving back from multiplicity to unity um, because uh, the world of Twin Peaks is about to, to restart somehow. And the whole third season is like a cyclical loop about um, this movement from multiplicity to unity. Um, so I, I'm not certain exactly of the point I'm trying to make here, but just to stress the fact that it has so many layers that are intricately woven together that, uh, it, as I said, um, it, it was screened in 2017. So basically for the past five, six years, I've done nothing but write and read about Twin Peaks. And still, I've got the feeling that I could go on for another 25 years till season four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we hope so. But yeah, again, this is a multi-layer. It's almost, it's a living thing. It defies time and space. And have you heard anything? Is there any hope for a season four? Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, you, you always hear people saying here and there that there are um, things that are slightly moving towards this. Um, I, I really don't know. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it. But at the same time, no one expected um, right. Twin Peaks to return after 25 years. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? Strange times. <laughs> But uh, I would just like to add that in my personal, from my personal point of view, it is uh, finished. I mean, it is closed. It's, it's beautiful as it is. It doesn't need another uh, a fourth season. I think that the story is told and it makes sense. It's coherent. Um, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be nice to have a fourth season, but I don't feel personally the need for such uh, a development. I think that they've really uh, tied everything together nicely with this third season. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, but what about part 16? <laughs> it just kind of leaves you hanging. I think Lynch and Frost may have been trying to set up for, you know, another, you know, another follow-on, but never got to do it. Uh, part 16, do you mean um, um, with... Um, yeah, Cooper and Laura are, are in that. Now, Laura's... Uh, I, gosh, I forgot the name that Laura had uh, when they went into Harry? the other dimension. Carrie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, he tried to take her home, but there was no going home. You know, it's the opposite of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yes. Was that, wasn't that 18 or was that 16? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say 16? Yeah, uh, yes. uh, 18, wasn't it? Um, yeah, but uh, to my, uh, I think that the, the scream at the end of part 18 is uh, the equivalent of the nuclear bomb in part 8, that uh, that scream really sees. Uh, an energy that basically destroys uh, the evil in the house, um, the electric duty, uh, right. so and restarts the world. Because as I was talking about the the move from multiplicity to unity, um, I, I, I do believe that season three is an apocalyptic battle, an, an Armageddon fight that takes us to uh, the renewal of the world. Uh, to a new beginning um, in a very uh, Hinduistic vision of uh, the, the various um, yugas, you know, that are coming one after the other. Uh, so we, we are moving away from the Kali Yuga and, and going into uh, something new. And that plays nicely, uh, I think, with the cyclical vision of time um, uh, 
which is um, developed throughout the series. So I, I don't really think it's necessary uh, from in from my perspective um, to 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 have anything else. And I have the feeling that part 18 um, says it all. Uh, the Cooper and Laura have come back to the beginning. The circle uh, has been completed. She uh, really sees the, the shout that destroys Judy and the whole uh, cycle begins anew. I, I, that's one way you could see it. I definitely agree. Uh, for, for me personally, it kind of left things up in the air. Poor Cooper, after all he went through, being split up, put back together <laughs> in, right? <laughs> then he said, where the hell am I? You know, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Thankless <laughs> job being a savior. You know it goes. Yeah. The, the end of the world is not fair. but <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, somebody has to die in Ragnarok or be disappointed, right? Yes. <laughs> well, we'll see what they decide. Um um, I don't know if Lynch and Frost have it in them. Uh, also, I mean, they're not getting younger. And I think it's really something very tiring to to build such a, a world and to, to shoot uh, 18 episodes like David Lynch did. I know that he was very tired after having done this. Um, so that, that's also to be taken into consideration. Um, but, you know, I, I would be absolutely happy if there was a fourth season. Yes, definitely. Oh, yeah. We'll let fate do it. But for now, we've got such a beautiful, uh, we've got such a beautiful gift. And another thing I like too, yeah, and, and recently in Twitter, you've been making connecting Laura as Babylon, the Scarlet mm. Woman, which I think makes sense. Uh, and then in another blog post, I love how you connect um, you connect uh, season three with Pandora's box. Could you share a bit with the audience about that? Uh, uh, part eight is very much the opening of Pandora's box. Uh, that's uh, ba basically uh, the nuclear explosion that we see that takes place in 1945. Um, humanity has been playing with uh, a toy that it cannot control and as a result um, has brought on the planet entities from other dimensions that uh, invade our reality and that's the way I understand it anyway once again I mean this is only my personal reading of Twin Peaks course, I'm not yeah. David Lynch I'm not Mark Frost <laughs> I don't know what's in their minds but the way I read it is that, uh, uh, that, that that's a, a crucial moment in the history of uh, the mythology, because it um, digs a hole through dimensions uh, and that enables Judy and Bob to come through and invade our realm um, in a nonlinear way, once again, because uh, in the secret history of Twin Peaks, there are elements that uh, reveal the presence of uh, the large entities before 1945. Uh, so the flow of the entities goes both uh, goes both ways towards the future and towards the past. But the whole was made in 1945 with uh, the opening of the Pandora's box. Yeah, that was definitely the pivotal. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, also the theme happens in Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. That's when, uh, well, in his mythology, that's when the Archons or the Outer Church mm -hmm. invade. So it makes sense because again. Man playing with nuclear powers really, uh, really was a pivotal time, just not just for history, but consciousness and everything else. So, and growing up in the Cold War, of course, that was always a huge, uh, 
cloud, for lack of better words, over uh, Western man's consciousness. And it's back again, it seems. It's back on the table, as they say. So uh, it just doesn't go away. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I've got to tie in. Um, a lot of people don't realize it because I haven't read Mark Frost's books, but um, there is a UFO backstory that didn't appear in the series. And I think maybe the owls took the place of the UFOs, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to forget the name of the, uh, the uh, newspaper editor that died in, in, in the season three. Um, Frank, can you help me there? You know, the, the brothers the mayor and the newspaper editor. Oh, yeah. Um, all of a sudden I have a blank. Um, uh, there's Dwayne. Uh, for, um, sorry. I'm, I'm forgetting to the, the name of the, of the town mayor. I, I don't, I don't feel so bad, but anyway, <laughs> there's a whole tie in with the, the black lodge and, yes. uh, and all that and the UFOs and uh, there's in, in UFO lore, uh, there's a theory that the atom bomb uh, is mm. what attracted the aliens and the UFOs or whatever they were yes. in, into paying attention to us. So, you know, that kind of ties in with, uh, you know, Judy and Bob and frog moth and everything that, that was able to come through and the, this is the water, this is the whale guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And I think it, um, it is also to be connected with uh, Kenneth Grant, uh, who uh, had this very Lovecraftian understanding of um, um, esotericism uh, um, following uh, Alistair Crowley. Uh, and he also uh, made um, some connections between the atomic bombs and uh, the arrival of UFOs and, and, and Jack Parsons, of course. Um, um, it's interesting that there was this TV series um, Strange Angels that was uh, released just after season three of Twin Peaks because uh, Jack Parsons plays an important part uh, in the secret history of Twin Peaks um, as does um, um, the, the, the creator of Scientology too uh, who uh, was part of the same circle um, so once again all those um, um, mythological elements are brought into the mix uh, and connecting elements that some of which are going towards the the fantasy uh, side of things and others are going towards the science fiction. Um, And in between, you've got our reality, which somehow gets invaded from both sides. And and so much about season three is about the the way um, borders between um, dimensions uh, tend to disappear and borders between reality and fiction as well. Um, there are moments when um, David Lynch or Gordon Cole um, appears almost as David Lynch himself, especially when he has this conversation with Monica Bellucci. I mean, why would Gordon Cole have a conversation with her if he were not uh, <laughs> David Lynch, the film director? Uh, and at the very end, in part 18, when they arrive at the house of the Palmer, um, they meet the, the actual uh, person who owns the house uh, in our reality. So um, somehow all the various 
elements, the fictional ones and uh, the ones from uh, um, our universe become entangled and um, flow into one another, uh, which is uh, something beautifully done. And and this is interesting because you were talking about the OA. Um, uh, I've recently d discovered this um, this show thanks to David Sweeney. Um, and the the the, the end of uh, season two of the OA is very much about the same thing right. uh, about how the dimensions are connected and how um, characters become actors. Uh, and how they, they end up being um, themselves as actors and not as characters. So th this blend uh, not only happens in the world of Twin Peaks, but somehow goes beyond that and seems to infect other TV series. Yeah, indeed, yeah. I think there's that part where, uh, what's the name of the actress? Monica, I forgot. Bellucci. Yeah, Bellucci. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she played Mary Magdalene in Passion of the Christ and was in Twin Peaks and is very nice to look at. But she says, and that's, are we the dream or the dreamer? She says this mm -hmm. very mystic thing to David Lynch. And mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. In the OEA, I have people telling me, oh, the ending is perfect because it shows it's all the fourth wall breaking down and we're all just actors in this trans-dimensional cosmic play, just playing different roles. And I'm like, yeah, but I still want to see season three. And the creators of the OA had mapped out. They were very open. They had mapped out about four or five seasons. So yeah, stop yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting too meta. You know? <laughs> By the way, I, I found out this morning that Lynch quotes that you know we we are the dreamer you know who dreams and then lives in the dream that quote he also uses that quote to describe as a hint uh inland empire oh. so mm -hmm. so that's a tie-in between between the two the the two uh, works of art and mm -hmm. i think what happens uh my understanding um being a lynch fan is that lynch believes in you know with his tm and everything and plunging the depths of of being the you know, the the source where everything comes from and that's where his art comes from he tries to tie into that directly and when you get to that point everything emanates from there so all these different mm. things and you know mm. it, it becomes very dreamlike yes it all ties in and and it's very um, once again linked to hinduism and to the idea that reality is just illusion that it's maya um, and um, it's only at the very bottom of the ocean of consciousness, as they say in transcendental meditation, that yeah. you're going to access pure being. Um, so, of course, everything that is not pure being is somehow connected to a certain extent, especially but because it emanates from there. Um, and and I, I do think that this pure being, this core of existence, um, is um, um, connected to, to Laura Palmer. Once again, she is the one, she is the monad. She is the, the, the origin from which everything emanates and to which everything goes back at the end of season three. Yeah, that's consistent with the Sophian uh, uh, concept mm -hmm. where, you know, uh, Sophia fell, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and so Laura, Laura basically fell, you know, getting involved in all the, the prostitution and so forth. Mm -hmm. and, and so did Cooper, literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the forgetfulness, pure forgetfulness. He drank from the, the waters of Lethe. And again, that's a theme that 
is a classic thing, Frank, like you talked about uh, the Odyssey and Mm -hmm. uh, scholars have said that all it is, is the famous platonic uh, soul's high adventure through the spheres. Uh, Mm -hmm. Helen of Troy is the soul being kidnapped and taken into another world. Uh, Mm -hmm. Odysseus is a soul trying to return home. And you see this theme over and over, not just in Gnosticism, but in Neoplatonism Mm -hmm. uh, and all these stories, whether it's Laura Palmer or or Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, or Alice in Wonderland. It's that uber myth of the soul returning, falling into the world and trying to return home, because in ancient times, the soul was a feminine figure. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, t- talking about the Wizard of Oz, uh, I think it's been, for the time being anyway, slightly under studied in relationship to season three. Uh, and um, you, you were quoting Monica Bellucci, what she says about um the dreamer uh i mean the question of course in season three is who is the dreamer um so the most likely uh, explanation uh is dale cooper uh, in the red room this is why we go back to him uh at the very end of part 18 uh but i have another theory which somehow uh fits better i think with the wizard of oz uh because if you remember the wizard of oz um all takes place in the mind of dorothy uh, in Kansas, it's all a dream. Um, and I want to go back to part eight. Uh, the only person we see dreaming in Twin Peaks is Sarah Palmer, the, the girl at the end of part eight. And we know that she's dreaming because she's having those REM, uh, REM movements um, um, uh, after the uh, frog moth has entered her mouth. Um, so uh, my theory is that it's possible uh, reading is that the whole uh, universe of Twin Peaks might be the dream uh, of a little girl in 1956. And that would explain why um, the 1950s play such an important role, even in the 1980s or in the 2000s, because uh, it is all filtered through her psyche uh, trapped in the 1950s. No, that makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah, another great idea way of looking at it. So some uh, questions that uh, I have in some of these were given by audience members. Uh, I think the one that I get the most, and you again come up with some various, uh, very cool interpretations, and that is the infamous Garmon Bosia. Hmm. Tell us about that. Uh, Frank, a couple of the theories. I think one, you say it's Vedic, but in another blog post, which I thought was amazing, you said these actually might be coordinates. Yes, I I, I do think now that uh, it's connected to um, Judy, who uh, herself is linked to um, the numbers that one finds on telephones. Um, Each uh, number has got a few letters attached to it. And if you dial Judy on a telephone, you get a number that corres- corresponds to the coordinates of uh, Buenos Aires, which, uh, uh, as you know, uh, is an important um, part of the mythology of Twin Peaks. So I think that they've been playing with this correspondence between um, letters and numbers. And if you look at the numbers corresponding to Garmon Bodzia, you can draw uh, an interesting map uh, of basically the Americas. Uh, Ga, Mon, Bo, Zia would be four parts. Uh, 
um, I don't exactly remember which one is which, but one leads to the very top of North America, the other one to the very uh, south of South America. Um, the third one is exactly in the middle of this line that you draw between the, um, the two extremes of the continent. And the fourth part, I, if I remember well, um, is um, um, a location in, um, in Africa. So if you, if you draw the whole thing, you get uh, a diamond, basically two um, pyramids on top of each other. And it looks perfectly like the, the owl sign that you find on the uh, ring, the famous ring from Twin Peaks. Um, so yes, I do think that Gorman Bozia, which is supposed to be pain and sorrow, is also very much linked to uh, the geography of uh, the Americas and the, the mirror geography that uh, they have established between North and South America. Uh, uh, um, mirrors inverted twins uh, are of course central in Twin Peaks and North and South America constantly um, reflect each other in the show. Yeah, it's a it's a great blog post for the audience. I would say you take a look at it. And other theories have been what it's some sort of Vedic language, or um, it's um, another thing that I suggested at some point because it was close to um, the pronunciation of some um, words that you find in Sanskrit. But uh, I am not a linguist, and from it was just a, a guess from my part. I actually think that um, the coordinates uh, theory is closer to what might be the truth. You know, makes sense. And for the audience, uh, if you're wondering, most people will know who uh, Killer Bob is and some of the other villains. but. Uh, Judy, you would say she is the arch enemy in the whole cosmic saga. She is the dark mother. Is that uh, fair to say, Frank? Yes, totally. Yes, she is the um, archetype Queen bitch. of evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She She's there in the shadows uh, uh, with Bob doing the, the dirty work on a daily basis. But uh, it's all about Judy in the end. Um, even though it seems that the concept of Judy was developed um, as the writing of the series was taking place. She was not there right from the beginning uh, in the way um, Frost and Lynch um, created the series. But uh, by the end of season three, it is clear that the main evil force is Judy. Yeah, I think there's some hints in Firewalk with me, but yes. it's pretty ambiguous. So, uh, yes. and you think Judy's uh, her goal is what? Would you say? I mean, Kim, and Gnosticism is to keep humanity enslaved, asleep, in a state of ignorance, feed off of them. Is that what you could say Judy wants, or what is her end game? <laughs> oh, do we um, know? <laughs> uh, I, I it's easy with the powers of good because it's like we yeah. want to, we want to break the bond of evil. It's kind of yeah. easy. I, I think she wants to feed on, uh, as they say, on pain and suffering. Uh, she's like a, a leech, really. She is there to take all the life away from the world, all the colors, all the all the happiness. Uh, she is every negative. Uh, element that exists in the universe. Um, 
yes, she is evil incarnate uh, in the sense that it is absolute uh, negative negativity, zero, uh, a black hole. No, that makes sense. And uh, the theme of uh, and function of electricity, which is very, it's prevalent in all the series. Uh, what would you say it symbolizes or means? It's even uh, like the when the when the poor boy dies, he turns into like electricity into the sky. It's all over the place. Uh, electricity is a back and forth. I think that the the lines that you see on the floor of the black lodge are. Um, a visual representation of electricity, which is also a representation of waves, um, of um, yes, um, uh, of an undulation, which is at the very root of existence. At the, it is what uh, starts the universe in a sense. Um, nonetheless, um, the evil entities use it quite a lot uh, in Twin Peaks to travel uh, along especially telephone lines. And this is why I'm also linking Judy to uh, the telephone dial. Um, they, they use this network of uh, telephone lines as a way to travel from place to place, thanks to the electrons, to the flow of electrons that you find in, in, this, um, in this environment. And uh, when you think of electrons, I mean, you think about atomic power. And once again, you go back to part eight, to the explosion. There is something um, Promethean uh, about this fire. They talk about the electric fire. Uh, fire is something that you can enable, that enables you to, to, to get warm. But of course, you can burn yourself with fire too. So it's a bit ambiguous. Um, but I think that, yes, the electricity is very much this, this idea of the fire um, linked to uh, the nuclear electrons um, that are all around us in the universe. No, that makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah, Vince, weren't you, we were talking the other day about national socialism and the occult. Didn't you say that uh, the famous Nazi bell appears in Twin Peaks? Oh, yeah. You know, the uh, David Lynch's uh, bell that he manipulates time with and and so forth and sends Cooper back that I, you know, some people interpret that as the Nazi bell. Uh, and that, that might tie into the UFO thing again, you know, which doesn't appear directly in Twin Peaks. Yeah, well, you can't have a grand mythological drama without, you have to bring in some occult Nazis, right? <laughs> to make it complete. You got aliens, yeah. ghosts, everything. And it looks like a teapot too, but uh, yeah. Lynch was quoted as saying that he didn't like the way it came out with the spout. You know, he didn't really intend for it to look like a teapot. <laughs> but, but this bell um, device, um, um, it's interesting that, yes, to, to, to link it, among other things, to national socialism, um, uh, especially because of the role of Odessa, which is the place where Carrie Page, that is the, the new Laura Palmer avatar, appears in part 18. Uh, and Operation Odessa was um, uh, an operation. Um, it seems that it's um, a bit um, um, something of... Um, uh, too much of a summary, but nonetheless, this is the way people describe the way uh, a lot of Nazi dignit uh, dignitaries were sent to South America uh, after World oh, War II to escape right. and went to Buenos Aires, among other places. 
So that's a, another possibility to connect the, 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 the importance of this bell, which I also, once again, link to telephones, because as you know, in all telephones, you had this device that you would put only on your ear um, that you couldn't uh, speak through, but you had to, to, to put this bell on your ear to listen to what people were saying. And it looks very much like the bell you see uh, in um, uh, close to the fireman. Yeah, I think it was also a source of power because in one scene, um, where you could see, uh, you know, the the firemen in this yes. big hall and down down this one car, you know, one through this one door, you could see like hundreds of bells yes. lined, yeah. lined up. So I, I always thought that was like a power plant of some sort. And, and, and I wonder. I mean, I, I was talking about the role of electricity and the fact that. Um, it's connected to waves, to uh, electrical waves. Uh, and what, what's a bell uh, is going to produce um, sound waves. So maybe there is something there with the role of undulation and waves and, 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 and power that is all connected with this, uh, with this device. Yeah, it could be. Huh? Yeah. And that was a, God, I'm trying to put my head. That was a, to, uh, that was David Bowie, right? He was the bell. Or, he was what, in the bell, yeah. Here we because he passed away before right. the season, and they brought the character back as yeah. the bell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And somebody asked, "What about the arm?" There was a yeah, there was a missing arm running around, wasn't there? Yes, uh, the the arm uh, was um, the, the actor playing the arm doesn't appear in um, season three, mm-hmm. and he's replaced by a, an electric tree. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that, that that talks and and moves, uh, <laughs> undulates once again because of the electricity. In my opinion, this is to be connected um, to what we were talking um, about earlier concerning Egypt, in the sense that uh, that tree is very much like uh, the, the the burning bush that uh, appears to Moses, um, and and that uh, gives him. Um, the the Ten Commandments. Um, so it's basically a godlike apparition uh, that is going to send Moses and, and in Twin Peaks the equivalent would be Cooper on his mission. It's interesting too that the the tree had a doppelganger. Yes, <laughs> the yeah. arm had his own doppelganger. Maybe it's the the anti god. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dualistic. Uh, yes, yeah. I think there's a lot of dualism. Twin Peaks was definitely dualistic. Well, I mean, it's in the title, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's at the very root of um, the the show that the Twin Peaks, the the mirror image of Cooper, uh, who sees himself as Bob in the mirror. Um, it, it, it is. You know, uh, I think um, w- close to uh, Lewis Carroll about this other reality that you can access through the mirror and that somehow reflects uh, ours, but uh, in a very different uh uh, in a very different way, uh, with very different laws of physics and 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 uh, and a nature that needs to be um, understood uh, right from the very root once again. Um, so yes, yes, it 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 is very much at the part of the DNA of the series. Yeah, he definitely plays with all of these themes. And uh, you're looking uh, a little ahead of Twin Peaks uh, three, or just the entire seasons. What would you say are some shows that were influenced by it? We obviously brought up um, The X-Files, The OA, 
Mm. What other shows would you say too? Um, I think that the, the Kingdom, uh, Lars von Trier's um, TV series, uh, was pretty much influenced by um, by Twin Peaks, and I actually think that Lars von Trier uh, acknowledged this influence. Shyamalan oh. um, uh, made a TV series a few years ago, uh, the title of which I can't quite remember, but it took place in a in a little town which happened to be isolated from the rest of the United States. And that is very much the same feel that you got there. Um, so uh, you, you can find um, references to Twin Peaks in so many TV series and so many films. Uh, I think it has been a very, very defining moment in the history of television. Uh, it has really pushed the conventions and, and, sh and shown um, artists that it was possible to do so much more than what we used to have on TV uh, before the 1980s. And my feeling is that season three has done that once again. Um, we, we, we thought that we had reached a peak <laughs> after the first <laughs> seasons of Twin Peaks, but season three really showed people that you can even go much further and um, it's really amazing how only 18 hours worth of uh, material uh, can keep you busy for so long. I mean, it's been <laughs> six years and I, I, I'm still not certain I understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think some of uh, this, the TV series Lost is straight out of yeah. Twin Peaks. Some have said the first season of true detective because again yes. girl murdered uh and there's this giant plot of you know magicians and corrupt mm -hmm. politicians around this small texas town although i would say uh i would say that it's also more influenced by gnosticism pessimism uh, emile Ciaran, mm -hmm. speaking of french or romanian uh mm -hmm. so it, it but uh definitely a lot of lynch and i don't think the I don't think a true detective season one could exist without Twin Peaks. So I guess I'll say that right there. And uh, what has been your initial uh, ideas on the OA? Again, we had, we were honored to have David Sweeney a few months ago in the early summer, and we had a great talk. Well, what do you think of the OA? Well, I was really, really glad. I mean, it's actually David Sweeney who um, recommended the show to me and I'm really thankful. I really, really liked it. And um uh, I, and I saw so many bridges between the OA and Twin Peaks, um, in so many elements that are uh, echoing each other, um, dimensions uh, and uh, the, the, the central figure of the OA that is so, so much like Laura Palmer and the importance of angels and so on and so forth. The, the, these two shows uh, are, are so wonderful, also in the sense that they are multi-layered that you've got the feeling that you could spend so much time with uh, both of them and that you could, uh, it's like um, um, a bottomless pit, you know, you um, drink food and descend. I mean, you could descend <laughs> forever yeah. and ever in, in both of these universes. So um, I'm really sad. Um, I've only recently watched the OA and I'm really sad that it uh, ended uh, on such a cliffhanger. And I hope that they will find a way to uh, continue the story either um, through uh, a new season on TV or via yeah, a comic book or, or a book, I don't know, but uh, it, it would be absolutely wonderful if they could bring um, 
if they could continue to take us forward on this trip. Oh, I would agree too. And I know they have left uh, the creator's cryptic blog posts on Instagram <laughs> and all this. So of course, the fans like me are trying to decipher, is this mm. a hint that, it, yeah, again, like you said, this interactive world between the creator mm. and the audience, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And uh, mm. I think that's what great stories are. And what beyond Twin Peaks, what are some of your favorite uh, David Lynch movies? Or do you have any? Or is that a pos- an impossible question? <laughs> well, I, I would say all of them. <laughs> um, even but, Dune? <laughs> well, yes, even Dune, actually. Um, I, I do like Dune. Um, uh, I have to say that the new version of Dune is excellent. Uh, I really wonderful. like the, 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 the way um, um, he's... Uh, it's much closer to the book, the new version. But uh, Lynch's version um, also has a lot for itself. Um, um, uh, I think I, I described it as a... Uh, a a in utero cosmic opera. Um, there is <laughs> a it. feeling that it's both something taking place inside the mind of uh, Paul Atreides, and at the same time, it's uh, cosmic and takes you to uh, universes that are far beyond our reach. And I think this is very Lynchian. Uh, and uh, at the center of it all is, of course, the the, the dreaming. I mean, the, the dreamer must awaken. So um, it's wonderful the way he's been able to take this um, masterpiece of uh, science fiction literature and bring it inside his own universe. And, and um, he's made it his. Uh, it, it is his version of Dune, and there is no denying that that's a David Lynch movie. Of course, he hated it, but uh, and he still hates it. But <laughs> but his fans love it more than he does. I think it's great. You know, I haven't even watched the new version because out of loyalty to David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> that's serious, man. That is serious. I think. Yeah, I think my problem and is. Uh, I could get all past that, but the special effects are so bad. And I know people always say, well, it was 1982 or when it came mm-hmm. out. It's like, excuse me, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner came out in 1982 and it's still timeless. Why? Yeah. And Lynch had a big budget. He could have done a little bit better with what he had. Uh, I, I, yeah, but I think it's not exactly uh, all his fault. Um, uh, I think that uh, there was a lot of um, pressure from the producers to uh, finish the film, and uh, I guess that they, they cut the, some corners on the special uh, effects. Um, there, there are other moments uh, in the film that are beautifully done. I think that the, the worm, for instance, is really impressive for the, for the time. Um, but it's true that there are some... Uh, super impositions that are a bit awkward <laughs> yeah i would agree too but um yeah i think for me i, w- I will always have a spot for mulholland drive i think that's the great gnostic myth and it's also lynch's giving the finger to hollywood saying i'm done mm-hmm. with you f you i'm walking away you're you are irredeemable and i think mm-hmm. he's right um i've never watched the straight story i hear that's not lynch just being a normal director have you watched it he's just there's no Lynch. He's just directing a film. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, I think it is possible to uh, include it into his filmography as a definitely Lynchian movie. But uh, no, my personal take on it is that whereas most of his movies are about going underground, you know, seeing what's beneath reality, the straight story stays right on the surface of things. Um, it is about a, a slow trip taken on a 
uh, lawnmower. Um, so it, it stays um, at the surface in a very colorful reality, whereas his, all, his other films, the ones that take you where it's dark, where it's black and white, they, they uh, dig a little bit under this surface reality, uh, under this cosmetic vision of life. But it, it is um, also Lynchian. And Lynch, I mean, even in Twin Peaks, you, you have those moments that are very uh, beautiful, very happy, very... Uh, uh, superficial, and by superficial, I don't mean to to say that they are bad, but they stay on the surface. Um, it's all about um, the interaction between the surface and what's below it. It's just that the straight story, um, for most of the duration of the movie, stays uh, on top of uh, reality. No, that makes sense, and it's interesting too. Uh, do you have an opinion about uh, Lynch's taste in women? He brings these very exotic, almost elfin women to mm. his. Uh, there's almost a Lynchian look to his actresses, mm. uh, and but they're not just just eye candy. I mean, Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive, I think, is one of the great acting jobs I've ever seen in my life. She was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you think? Any opinions on that? Um, my opinion is um, it goes in both directions um, in, in two directions sorry um, on the one hand I am very grateful that he gives some roles to some women who would not get roles otherwise mm-hmm. yeah. uh, older women or, yeah. or unknown or actresses he has no problem un- casting them. Yeah. yes and this is absolutely wonderful and I really respect that on the other hand um, sometimes it's slightly exploitative um, um, I don't think he's the worst by far, uh, but there are moments in his films that I find a bit awkward from this perspective. Um, so um, it's always a bit difficult for me to uh, really um, define my relationship to this, except to say that it's complicated. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, I'm not blaming Lynch uh, altogether for his relationship to women and the way he depicts them. But at the same time, um, uh, sometimes I wish he would be a little bit more careful about some of the um, depictions he gives of uh, younger women, especially. No, it makes sense. And as we get to the end of the interview, Vance, any comments or questions for Frank? Oh, gosh, you know, what kind of a universe of <laughs> comments <laughs> could I dredge up? Um, oh, yeah. How, how about this? Do you think, uh, here's a trivia question. Do you think the uh, use of the name Carrie Page was a nod to Sissy Spacek, you know, in The Return? Because, you know, uh, you, mm-hmm. you probably know as well as I do that uh, David Lynch and Sissy Spacek have a, a, have a tight relationship. Um, it, it's a possibility. I think that um, the, the, the names uh, in the show uh, have a lot of importance. None of them was chosen randomly. Um, um, Carrie Page, I mean, links to um, to Carrie, Stephen King's novel and the film uh, because of the shout at the end of the, um, um, the, 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 the dance that, the, that they have and when she receives all the blood on top of her head, which is very similar to what Carrie Page does at the end of part 18. Um, uh, Carrie, um, uh, it's also interesting because of the, 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 the mirror structure of, uh, the, of the return to see that there's an, another character who's named Page, and that's Beverly Page, who is the assistant of um, 
uh, Ben uh, at the Great Northern. So there are some echoes within the story itself that you can find um, with the way characters are unnamed or with the way their personalities are split between several individuals. Um, so, yeah, it's a complicated question to, to know exactly what uh, Lynch meant when he chose Carrie Page. I think that there are many uh, answers to this, but this is basic, perhaps. <laughs> Interesting. Another thing I, I wanted to ask you is, what do you think of uh, you know the the little film rabbits being included in, uh, in, in Inland Empire? You know, <laughs> what do you think that was done for? What's your interpretation? Um, I mean, rabbits uh, do, do do play also a role <laughs> in. Um, uh, season three um they there are some characters like this that come back um throughout his um filmography my, my personal take on it is that it might be linked to lewis carroll to the rabbit taking us to the hall and to uh the underground world uh that exists there you know dragging alice uh, in his path so that might be one possible reading to um integrate, once again, intertextual elements coming from other works of fiction, whether they are literature or film. I think that uh, season three, especially, but it's also true of Mulholland Drive and other films of his, are very intertextual. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the actors uh, from Mulholland Drive play some of the rabbits in uh, mm -hmm. Inland Empire, so there's mm -hmm. such a thing as a, a Lynch universe of sorts, but it's very yes. deconstructive and very <laughs> yeah all right well as we get to the end and I, I wanted to ask you too i think you recently saw the movie nope and i think this is sort of jordan peele bringing in his inner david lynch kind of combining it with his inner quentin tarantino what do you think of the film briefly I liked it. I thought it was uh, interesting. Um, I don't know if it's his best film, but there's a lot there that can be analyzed. Um, and the, the monster is very interesting um, in the sense that I, I see this monster as a, project, a projection from the unconscious of one of the characters. Um, so um, it's interesting to see that the external reality is influenced by the internal uh, psyche of one of the characters, uh, and, and uh, Peel does that beautifully. Yeah, he did a good job, and I, I watched it on the plane back from Lisbon to Philadelphia, so... Uh, you know, watching a movie on a plane is always a challenge. And then mm -hmm. my seven-year-old daughter was, of course, interrupting me every 10 minutes with I need a drink and my coloring book and all that good stuff. But I really did enjoy it. And it's certainly a movie that, like Lynch's films, will probably grow. And it's got a very unique take on the whole UFO thing. So uh, for another time, well, this has been a great conversation. We are at the end. Uh, Frank, where can people get to know more about you? Again, as I mentioned at the beginning, and I'll have this on the show notes, uh, check out his blog, which will never end, I, hopefully, as Frank keeps plowing ahead, uh, mm -hmm. unwrappingtheplastic.com and anywhere else where you can find out more about you. Um, well, you can find um, more posts on Twitter. Um, on Facebook for at, uh, Unwrapping the Plastic. And I've written a couple of books to uh, people are interested uh, uh, about Twin Peaks, uh, mostly. So awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. We are excited about any future work and your time. But first, uh, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company here in this Black Lodge. 
no problem. Well, now I got to go because there's a fish in the percolator. (laughs) 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 Love it. Well, Frank, thank you very much for coming on AM Byte. And we really enjoyed uh, this conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you tonight. And there you have it, you shining, crazy diamonds. Frank handing out those red pill suppositories to clean out your spiritual bowels full of Judy's and killer bobs. As mentioned in the intro, full interview for everyone and their Anubis. For all subs, it's a rewarding mini course on David Lynch that includes but goes beyond Twin Peaks. So if you want this White Lodge content, an extra hour and a half of Gnosis, please become an AB Prime member, patron at Patreon, or Red Circle subscriber. It certainly helps keep the lights on of the Pleroma, here in the desert of the real. For all subs, let us to Vance and I's cool discussion. Then Eric G. Wilson, Robert Sullivan, and David Sweeney for a holistic understanding of the Gnostic and occult aspects of David Lynch and Twin Peaks. For everyone else, hello and goodbye as always. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.